Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 593 for the 20th of May, 2018. This week, anyone who complains about the cost of digital photography probably never used film or can't remember film's costs. You do have to pay for software today, but the cost is far less than that of film, processing, and printing, and the capabilities far exceed anything we can do in the darkroom. In short circuits, related to the opening segment, is this a great time or a lousy time to be a photographer? The easy answer is yes, so let's explore that thought. Adobe's Experience Design application now has a free version and Adobe is encouraging developers to create plugins that will expand its functionality. Do you have a connected home device? One company says they are more widespread than many believe. On the one-year anniversary of my older daughter's liver transplant, I have a simple request. Please consider signing up to be an organ donor. And in spare parts only on the website, two more data security incidents serve as reminders of how easy it is for crooks to get their hands on information. School vacation time is about here, and it's time to think about summer reading programs for the kids and for adults, too. And NASA TV plans to broadcast much of the resupply mission to the International Space Station starting with Sunday's launch. Is it excessive to spend $10 a month on your photo hobby? Adobe's photographic plan costs $10 a month. And that's something that distresses some photographers. Oh, I can't afford that, they say. But let's consider this through a lens of historical perspective. Remember film? Amazon sells 10 rolls of Kodak GC Max 400 24 exposure color print 35mm film for $29.99. A little quick math shows that's about $3 a roll, so about 12.5 cents per shot. Then you'll need to pay for developing and printing. $10 or so for drugstore quality images, or about $0.42 per image. Well, that brings your cost to about $0.54.5 every time you click the shutter. So now, let's assume you use two rolls of film per month. That's 48 pictures. Your cost per month for 48 film-based images would be about $26 a month just for film and processing, plus the cost of prints that you might want to give to others. Adobe's photography plan is less than half that, whether you take 48 pictures a month or 480 pictures a month. It includes Lightroom, Adobe Camera Raw, Bridge, and Photoshop. These are the applications you can use to make your photos better, more like what you saw with your eyes. Before getting into the topic of what you can accomplish for $10 a month, I should at least acknowledge the dancing chicken on the far side of the room, Digital cameras cost more than film cameras and generally need to be replaced sooner because of changes in technology. So consider the cost of the camera this way. Maybe you have a $1,000 camera and it lasts for five years in the digital world. It's about $200 a year. Or maybe you have a $1,000 camera 
and it lasts for 10 years. That'd be $100 a year for a film camera. Now, is that less a factor than the ongoing costs of film processing and printing? That, after all, is where the real costs were in the good old days. So the question is, what can you do with $10 a month? I'm going to start with this seemingly obvious observation. There is a difference between what we see and what our camera sees. Experienced professional photographers can visualize how the camera will record a scene and they won't be surprised later when they see the image from the camera. If you're frequently disappointed by images from your camera, you can make the image more closely resemble what you saw. All it takes is a little bit of money, time, and effort. So let's say you're driving down a road in eastern Ohio and you see a barn in front of a beautiful blue sky with a few puffy clouds. Your eye filters out the power pole that's in front of the barn, the power lines, some posts, a sign in front of the barn, a house in the background, some road signs, and a shed that's attached to the barn. You see the barn. But when you get home, all of those distractions are quite visible, and you notice there's not much detail in the shadowed areas of the trees either, but you saw that with your eyes. Bummer. Well, the photo can be substantially improved with less than five minutes of work in Lightroom. You can crop slightly to place emphasis more on the barn, adjust the blacks and the shadows to bring out more details in the shadowy parts of the trees, and although the camera's automatic white balance was close, it's a good idea to use an eyedropper tool on a neutral color to get a better white balance. Then you might want to increase the saturation and decrease the luminance of the sky's color. That would make it more like the sky you remembered. Despite those improvements, though, the power pole, the power lines, posts, a sign in front of the barn, a house in the background, road signs, and a shed that's attached to the barn still draw too much attention to themselves. Further cropping would help to isolate the barn, but I liked the composition with a road leading into the image from the lower left. Again, check that out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So now it's time for Photoshop, which can take that corrected image from Lightroom. Before starting, here's one important note. Never work on the original image. Instead, place a new layer above the image and make changes on that layer. In the images you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, the transparent layer above the photo is on the right side, and the result of that layer is shown on the left. Removing two of the three posts and a drainage cover was pretty easy. The third post, however, partially obscured some brickwork so matching the bricks was a little more challenging. This is something you'll learn over time. The bottom part of the power pole was easy. It was just in front of grass, so cloning there was quite simple. But it's also in front of trees and the sky. That's a little more challenging. And it was also necessary to remove the house in the background, and finding a good source to clone the grass from was a bit of a problem. The power pole's guy wire in front was also in front of the barn, so it was important to match the texture and the grain of the barn's wooden sides. The sign in front of the barn turned out to be less of a challenge than I thought it would be, but it did create what's an obvious problem. Enough of the barn and the shed existed that cloning was relatively easy, but then I realized I had eliminated a window. The left edge of the window is just barely visible along the left edge of the sign in the earlier images, Besides, it was clear that the barn would have two windows on the left and two on the right. 
So I cloned the third window, increased its size just a little bit because it's closer to the camera, and added a tiny bit of rotation. But then that shed really started to bother me. Could I remove it? Well, it turned out to be a little bit tricky because of the length of the areas that needed to be cloned and the need to maintain some sharp divisions around the front right corner of the barn. So check out the final image on the TechBiter Worldwide website and realize that I rarely spend as much time as it took to edit this image. In fact, most of the corrections I make are in Lightroom. I knew that this image would be challenging, and I knew I could use it to improve my skills. Improving skills is important, whether you're a professional or an amateur. Photography is part craft and part art. Art is the part that allows us to envision the image we want. Craft is the part that allows us to create the image our mind sees. My younger daughter, a graphic artist, used to cry when she was about five years old. She said that she could see pictures in her mind, but she couldn't draw them. Through primary school, middle school, high school, and college, she worked to improve her craft skills. There is no substitute for the time and effort needed to develop the skills that you want to have. In short circuits, while I was working on this week's main article, I wondered to myself, is photography dead? I started thinking about professional photographers. For professional photographers, this is a terrible time to be in business, unless it isn't. Long ago, in what seems like a distant galaxy, I was a professional photographer. I am not now, and I haven't been for about 30 years, for a variety of reasons. But today's photographers can do in just a few minutes what would have taken hours to accomplish in a darkroom had it been possible at all. Professional photographers feel challenged because anybody can buy a camera and a kit lens for just a few hundred dollars, and they can use the very same software the pros use for just $10 a month. Some pros consider this situation and conclude that they are doomed. Well, some of them certainly are. There are parallels, after all. Until about 1990, a journeyman typesetter could quit one job, move to another city, and be hired the next day. For some, it was a great way to see the country. Then came desktop typesetting. PageMaker, Ventura Publisher, Quark Express. There was a lot of horrid typesetting. But those who wanted to learn got better, and the market split. The average typesetting shops, the ones that could do good but not particularly outstanding work, found that they no longer had any customers, but the very best shops had all the business they could handle. The music industry has seen this trend too. People buy singles today, not albums or CDs. It's no longer possible to get rich on an album with one or two great tracks and a bunch of mediocre ones. But desktop audio editing software and internet distribution have made record companies all but obsolete. Many of today's artists record and edit their own music, make it available online, free or paid, and then get their income from live performances. To bring this back to the plight that photographers face, 
it is no longer sufficient just to create photographs that are well-lighted and in focus. Today you have to master both the art and the craft of photography, along with public relations, advertising, and marketing. I'm a member of a Facebook group for photographers. This group has about 300,000 members, pros and amateurs, from all around the globe. Some give advice that includes terms such as must and always and never. I suspect that these are the photographers who will not be in business a few years from now because I routinely see outstanding work done by those who want to become professionals. One of the very best photographers I ever had the opportunity to know and work with lived in a tiny East Ohio town. He worked for a railroad until he developed his skills and his marketing capabilities. Then he quit his day job. He was willing to try new methods all the time. TONE is an acronym that was popular in the 1980s. TONE, T-O-N-E. Technique only, nothing else. That was used as an epithet to describe photographers who created a single, all-encompassing setup that they used for everybody. Studio lights might as well have been nailed to the floor. The TONE photographers are out of business today, except for those who work in department stores and produce cheap photo packages that are designed more to get customers into the store than to provide memorable photographs. I said that marketing and advertising are crucial to success today, but that assumes the mastery of at least the technical and craft basics, the ability to create a usable, properly exposed, in-focus, well-composed image in the camera. That's pretty much the baseline minimum. Being willing to try something new is another essential part. And then you have to decide whether you are someone who can create exceptional, memorable images. If you are, wow, this is a great time to be a photographer, amateur, or professional. Adobe announced Project Comet in 2015, and it released Experience Design, or XD, a year later. The goal was to provide a way for designers to create a framework for websites, mobile apps, and documents. Now they've released a free version. There are, of course, limitations. The free version supports only one active shared prototype, one active shared spec design, two gigabytes of cloud storage, and 280 typekit fonts. The paid plans have unlimited prototypes and specs, 100 gigabytes of cloud storage, and 5,700 typefaces. Those who have Creative Cloud subscriptions already have XD, so this free version is intended to convince new users to give it a try. Full details about how the plan works are on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Paid versions start at $10 a month for XD alone but the application will be more usable in conjunction with the other apps that are part of the Creative Cloud plan, $50 a month. Adobe Chief Product Officer Scott Belsky says the intent is to give everyone, from emerging artists to enterprise brands, everything they need to design and deliver exceptional digital experiences and explore the rapidly expanding field of UX design with no financial commitment. Although UX doesn't create code that can be used on websites or in any other format, and Adobe has no current plans to add that functionality, UX does support plug-in technology. 
Most Adobe applications expose an interface that allows other developers to create tools and capabilities. So along that line, Adobe has set up a $10 million fund for design that will be distributed as grants and equity investments. The fund is intended to help designers and developers do innovative experience design and leverage Adobe XD as a platform supporting plugins and integrations with third-party tools and services. So it's open for individuals, small teams, and companies who are interested in or are already building products to empower creatives. In addition to providing the financial means to enable growth, working with Adobe Fund for Designers will provide recipients access to industry experts and significant resources to fuel development, including, according to Adobe, early access to technology, partnership, and go-to-market opportunities. If you'd like to take a look at XD, you can download the free version from Adobe's website. Unlike the rest of the applications, this is not a limited free-time trial. The free version of XD includes a perpetual license. survey by a company that offers services for providers of Internet of Things devices says that 90% of consumers already have such a device. That may seem high to you. It certainly did to me. But it turns out that it depends on how the terms are defined. You may think of Internet of Things devices as light bulbs and thermostats and other components that are part of a house's infrastructure. The survey widens that a bit quite a bit actually, to include not only those devices, but also assistants such as Google Home or Amazon Alexa, and even appliances such as smart televisions. So, okay, by that definition, 90% does seem reasonable. Metova, a producer of mobile connected car, connected home, and IoT devices, paid for the research in an attempt to understand the sentiment of consumers in the United States about these new technologies. CEO Josh Smith says that many businesses don't understand how widespread these devices are. Consumers have already made the leap to connected devices in their homes, he says. The survey shows over 90% of respondents have made a purchase on a connected home device. Nearly 70% have a voice-controlled system such as Amazon Alexa or Google Home. 58% of people who own a connected home device are, however, concerned about how it may affect their privacy. And more than 30% of those who do not have a connected home device plan to make a purchase within the year. The survey was commissioned by Matova and administered to over 1,000 consumers in the U.S. market covering a wide range of demographics and distributed proportionally across the country. This past year has been, oh, shall we use the term interesting, as my family and I learned more than we ever wanted to know about how the liver works, how it fails, and organ transplants. On Monday, May 15, 2017, we learned that my older daughter was in the emergency room at Fairfield Medical Center. Liver failure was the initial diagnosis. After being in intensive care overnight, she was transferred to Ohio State University Hospital the following morning barely conscious on arrival, she soon slipped into a coma. 
An outstanding team of medical professionals from many departments confirmed the liver failure diagnosis. Because the failure was acute and immediately life-threatening, she was moved to the top of the list for a donor organ and miraculously found a match on May 19th. Transplant surgery began late that afternoon. The following afternoon, after she regained consciousness, Elizabeth met her surgeon and has been observed closely in the year since by the head of the surgical team and the hepatology department at University Hospital. As essential as the medical staff has been, this past year would have been much different without Donate Life Ohio. Donate Life Ohio is a coalition of the state's organ, eye, and tissue recovery agencies dedicated to educating Ohioans about the need for donations and motivating them to join the Ohio Donor Registry. Similar organizations are associated with Donate Life America, and they exist in all states. If you are not yet a registered organ donor, please consider signing up. The DonateLife.net website can guide you to your state's organ donor registry help you determine if you're already registered and assist with registration if you're not. On average, 20 people die every day in the United States while waiting for a transplant that doesn't come in time. More than 100,000 people are on various transplant waiting lists right now. Elizabeth, the rest of the family, and I are all eternally grateful to the organ donor, the organ donor's family, the intensive care doctors and nurses who kept Elizabeth alive during the wait, and the surgical team. These are the heroes who gave Elizabeth a second chance at life. And this week in Spare Parts, only on the website, two more data security incidents serve as reminders of how easy it is for crooks to get their hands on information. School vacation time is about here, and it's time to think about summer reading programs for the kids, and for adults, too. And NASA TV plans to broadcast much of the resupply mission to the International Space Station, starting with Sunday's launch. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.